Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. With Ligue 1 returning after the March international break, we've seen yet another huge swing of the pendulum in the title race as a monumental performance from Lille saw them overcome PSG to take the reins with seven games to go. L'Equipe's front page exclaiming Big Bang, indicating just how significant a moment this could be. Elsewhere, Lyon continued to drop like a lead balloon, falling outside the podium for the first time since December and drawing against the ever-impressive Lance. Meanwhile, Dijon looked beyond dead and buried as they succumbed to a 2-0 defeat at the hands of Europe chasing Marseille. We'll be discussing these matches as well as previewing PSG's Champions League quarterfinal clash against Bayern, uh, a replay, of course, of last season's final. I'm your host, Jake Smales, and this week I'm joined by Eric Devin. Hey, Eric, how are you doing? Well, well, Jake, how are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. I'm very excited to discuss uh, this hugely significant weekend in the league. Um, I'm also joined by Mohamed Ali. Evening, Mo, how are you? Evening, uh, good, thanks. I hope everyone is well. Great stuff. Um, Before starting, I should flag that issue four of the modern footballer Uh, The Get Football Group's quarterly print magazine has just been released. Um, Issue four contains 140 pages of analysis, stories and insights. We have player profiles on the likes of Usem Awar, Dominic Zoboslai, Ashraf Hakimi, Jude Bellingham, Sven Botman, just to name a few. We've got features on Maradona, on Bob Marley, on Fabrizio Romano and Hellas Verona, to name a few of those. And club columns on the likes of Barca, PSG, Bayern, Inter, Dortmund and Lyon. Um, Eric, I know you feature in this issue. Why don't you tell us a bit about what you've contributed? So I I wrote a column about uh, Lyon's overall uh, progress this season, um, as well as uh, as Hussein Awar. uh, I was none too kind to Awar. Um, you know, I, I do appreciate their mega in circumstances given COVID. And he's, he has, he said, a thigh issue on and off for much of the season. But, um, you know, for a player who was tipped to with the things he has been, you know, joining the likes of Arsenal and Juventus, uh, I think it's safe to say he's had a really disappointing season. And especially when we consider that playing 4-3-3 ought to have afforded him more, um, more space, more flexibility. Uh, more attacking freedom, as it were, um, not having to play, you know, defensive duty as he had in years past. Um, I think we should have expected a better return from him. And I think that, um, you know, that spark of ingenuity, creativity, um, call it what you will, that Leon had been missing. I mean, a lot of that is down to, um, you know, Rudy Garcia's tactics. But I think that Auer's, um lack of performances this season uh, have been as much a catalyst for that as anything. Um, and then obviously, you know, the Leon column itself sort of dovetails into that. And, um, you know, how, you know, despite, you know, the players that have been brought in doing fairly well, um, Lucas Paquette's a chief among them. Uh, it's, it's really been a, a, a poor, um, you know, besides that long unbeaten run they had, Leon had been poor for more than half a season at this point. Um, and it doesn't look like the Champions League is going to happen at this point if I had to wager on it. Well, that is something we'll be coming to over the course of this show, but you can read features such as these as well as much, much more in the latest issue. £9.99 for the latest print edition, uh, a reduced £3.50 for the digital version. I believe 
the magazine is shipped worldwide. Uh, and you can also find on the Modern Footballer website bundles of previous editions for discounted deals. So please, please be sure to check out the latest issue of the Modern Footballer. We might be biased, but I think it is absolutely brilliant. Um, anyway, we must dive into this weekend's action. And where else could we possibly start than Saturday's top of the table, potentially decisive clash as first face second with Paris Saint-Germain hosting Lille at the Parc des Princes? PSG had taken what appeared to be a decisive step in the title race prior to the international break. Their 4-2 win over Lyon saw them take top spot, while Lille's title challenge looked to be in potential danger after their shock defeat at home to Nîmes. Reigning champions Paris Saint-Germain welcomed Neymar back to the starting eleven, but had to do without Marco Verratti, who had tested positive for COVID-19, while Lille remained without Zeki Celik as well as Yusuf Yuzici. PSG had won this fixture 3-0 just a matter of weeks previously as the two sides had met in the Coupe de France and given their strong start, it looked like a repeat was potentially on the cards for Paris Saint-Germain. Largely thanks to Mike Magnon, the score remained level. Nevertheless, it was Le Dog who took the lead on 20 minutes thanks to Jonathan David finishing off a well-worked counter-attacking move. A 1-0 advantage Lille took with them at half-time. Clear-cut chances were few and far between in the second half, with both goalkeepers making key saves at key moments. The most dramatic moment of the match came late on, with Neymar and Thiago Jallo clashing, uh, a coming together which resulted in both players being sent off. However, the scoreline remained the same, with Lille returning to the top of Ligue 1, having won 1-0. Uh, Eric, this was Lille's first win at the Parc des Princes since 1996. Uh, what a sublime performance from Le Dog. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I think that, um, especially given how they looked vulnerable, I mean, they were missing uh, Zeki Celik, uh, first and foremost, I think a player who's been, you know, really perhaps the most impressive buy of their, of their, you know, of their recent run of good form. I think that um, you know, to get a player of this quality from the Turkish second division has been really impressive. Um you know, Burak Yilmaz was on the bench. They played a 4-2-3-1 in a different system, um, which I think was you know, a somewhat radical change from Galtier as well, playing Rano Sanchez on the right wing. That's a role he played last season. It's not necessarily unfamiliar from, with him. But um, we saw right, right from the get-go that Mauricio Pochettino wanted to put pressure on Jalo and put pressure on the fact that um, you know, Sanchez was playing you know, as a, in a role that was you know, something he hasn't played much recently. Uh, and you saw that we had, you know, basically the only player in an attacking position on the right side of the pitch for PSG was Teal Carrer. You had Di Maria, Mbappe, Neymar, and all on that side, Diallo getting forward as well. And they were really trying to put pressure on Jalo, who had struggled in that, that Coupe de France match. And I think that, you know, that wasn't necessarily a bad gambit from Pochettino, but um, the work, the amount of work that Lille got through as a way, as a way of covering for him made the difference in that match. I think that um, you know, once again, Christophe Galtier has, has shown that, you know, despite not having the, the wealth that PSG do, he, he, he is and has been the best manager uh, in Ligue 1 over the past 10 years. He's, he proved that at Saint-Étienne, you know, getting to the Europa League with regularity despite uh, a lack of resources. And I think he's proved by and large that uh, he, has, he has what it takes to not only, you know, get, have Lille grind out narrow wins, but but also to um, to game plan for a for a match in a, in a way that um, 
in a way that oh, in a way that they can they can deal with the, the pressure of a big match. And I think, and also too, when you add in the fact that Yusuf Zizicu was a, a late scratch, uh, he and Chelik were both uh, late scratches as a result of COVID. Um, you know, th- that was sort of an eleventh hour thing, and for him to react and and to still have the team looking as cohesive and impressive as this. Uh, is absolutely massive. I think that's that's an arguably best performance in the season. Mo, looking specifically at the way that that, that Lille played in that match, I mean, it was the, the shift they put in was just insane. And we were talking just a couple of weeks ago with Christian on the show about how um, how maybe you know fatigue was starting to creep in because of the way that this team is expected to play in this four four two shape. You know, but do you think this kind of shift that we saw from the players perhaps? Rather than just the uh, the results, kind of gives a renewed um, puts renewed impetus, I guess, uh, on Lille as as perhaps favourites. Given that we've now seen that you know this is a side who, despite having um, perhaps exhibited sh- signs of fatigue, they are clearly capable of of absolutely you know putting in a putting in a shift. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's 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 that. It's what you've just described as sort of um, seen them struggle over the past, uh, let's say, three to six weeks, um, you know, particularly in the face of more creative opponents, uh, you know, uh, teams that have um, on paper more attacking impetus, like you've got Ajax and uh, the Monaco game a couple of weeks ago and the first uh, Paris Saint-Germain uh, Cup encounter. Um, but they've struggled to really show an intense um, intensity for 90 minutes. They've They've struggled to develop outside of their low block. They've looked a bit timid in the approaches. They've looked um, overrun in midfield. I think if you saw from first whistle to last, I think they were really, really awesome. Stay for, I think, the period in, in the first half where Paris Saint-Germain had a couple of really, really key chances, but um, Mike Magnon and, and Renildo uh, being very key to thwart them. Other than that, uh, the quality of chances for, for Paris really fell um, in the second half as... Lille's um, sort of tactical shape as, uh, you know, their low block really, really uh, absorbed a lot of the pressure. And I think that just goes to show, you know, when when each player is, is um, you know, focused, when each player is really um, giving it 110% in, in, in each position in that cohesive sort of uh, tactical approach that Gaultier set out, I think, you know, you can see um, how, how well they reap the rewards from it. I don't think, you know, from the second half onwards, you know, they perhaps should have got the second through Barack Yilmaz. I think they executed their game plan perfectly. They retained the intensity and kept PSG at arm's length um, as frustration really grew for the home side. I think that's something that you can absolutely take away. And it's something we've been sort of crying out uh, for, for the last couple of weeks as their season sort of threatened to start to unravel, uh, particularly after the Europa League elimination, because they just weren't showing the same sort of faith that we've seen um, in the league in the first part of the season. I think this is more... Um, I'm not going to say this is sort of the Lille of old in terms of the first part of the season because that Lille was more swashbuckling or without confidence. But this is definitely a new, um, another face that they've they've shown a more serious, uh, particularly a, a, a champion-worthy performance where they are grinding out results against rivals, but really doing it in a very serious manner. Um, and, 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 you know, where every player has performed his role really, really well. Um, in particular, I thought yeah, the defence had a great game. Mike Manian, of course, um, was superb, but you know, Bonjamin and Andre in the in the middle, um, absolutely excellent. And I think uh, epitomizes sort of how Lille approached that game. Yeah, e- Eric. I mean, coming to you, did 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 was Benjamin Andre kind of the the most emblematic of of this 
of this Lille performance in terms of an individual. I think he he won he won was involved with 20 duels. He made six successful tackles, five interceptions. He was absolutely everywhere. I mean, all sorts of players on on that Lille side put in put in a shift. You know, even Jonathan Okone, I think, won the ball back um, several times and, and drew several fouls. You know, like every player was working hard. But it was Benjamin Andre kind of the perfect um, symbol, I guess, of, of this performance, the perfect encapsulation of, of this performance as an individual? I would have to say so, yeah. And Ronaldo is someone who I would mention as well as have, having had a really excellent match as well. But I I do think that, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Andre has been you know, a reliable motor for this team all season, um, and especially playing alongside Sumari, who, again, you know, is a, is a highly touted prospect and for good reason, but he's not someone who's you know, been first choice, you know, Lille have often opted for the central pairing of Sanchez when fit or Sheck has played a good amount as well. Sumari has not necessarily been a regular starter. So, you know, there was perhaps even a greater onus on Andre last night, but he, you know, he certainly answered the bell. He, he responded with the palm and, you know, was really sharp. You know, he's, he's someone who I think has been, you know, probably even going back to his time at Ajaccio, to be quite honest, you know, one of the most underrated players in the, in Liga. Uh, just getting through massive amounts of work, you know, he's, you know, somewhat prosaic in terms of um, what he brings to the, to the team in an offensive sense. But um, in terms of reliability, pass making, breaking up play, um, he's decent enough with the ball at his feet. Um, yeah, just a, a tremendous player. And Galtier really knows how to get the best out of him tactically. And I think that we saw that uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it just seems like, as I, I, I can't... Feel like I'm completely gushing over this, but but seriously, it, it did feel like like Christophe Galtier was able to get the, the best out of every player in their individual role, particularly um, Andre, but also you know that you mentioned Sumare there, who I think we've kind of perhaps been slightly um, we we perhaps kind of questioned some of the hype that he's received internationally, but you know again he was one who put in a, a monumental shift in midfield and Thiago Jallo as well playing at, at fullback, which is in his natural position and really helping nullify threat of Kylian Mbappe just hugely impressive all round um the goal scorer as I mentioned was was Jonathan David um kind of maligned I guess earlier on in the season for 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 his his struggles but has uh scored 10 goals I believe now in the league reached double figures um it's been revealed since that uh the injury he went off with during the match is an ankle ligament injury and that he's set to be out for several weeks um, I guess with these things, it always could be potentially more. So, so his the rest of his season is perhaps somewhat in doubt. Mo, do you think that's the kind of um, the kind of injury that could have a, a big impact and in 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 any kind of potential derailing of 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 Lille's title title chase? Or do you think they just have enough attacking options given the likes of of Yilmaz and Yazici who didn't start this one? Yeah, um, I think in like in you know in all likelihood as as, as important as. Uh, David has been um, in the last couple of weeks. I think we've mentioned on this podcast before how um, you know he's not exactly. You know, he took took some time essentially to settle in the league. Um, you know, in the first half of the season, in particular, I mean, much of the attacking impetus was falling to uh, Barak Yilmaz and also um, elsewhere in the Lille attack. I think they've just got enough. Um, obviously, with Timothy Way on the bench with. Uh, you know, still Bambin, they currently can provide a lot of attacking impetus. They've got exactly Hadji as well, um, who who is able to play minutes. Araujo um, on the bench. Also, I think they've got just about enough to to sort of see it out. I think 
yeah, I mean, it's going to be a big miss, particularly in the fact that he's really come alive in the last couple of weeks. Um, he's looked um, sort of more confident. I think sort of the um, some of the ner- nervousness in, in front of goal has sort of worn off. He's been more acclimatised and more accustomed to sort of uh, defences in Liga, um, which you know it comes at a bad time for him, I'm sure, because I think he'd want to he'd, he'd want to obviously end the season strongly. I think he's just entered double figures in goals, which is a really very good return for for his side um, and for him personally in his first season. Um, but I think I think they'll have just about enough uh, to see it through. I think. Um, I know we've mentioned sort of the fixtures and you know who who they face, etc. But really, it'll be about um, you know trying to trying to really um, grind out results from here on in, here, here on in. And I think most of that will fall to to the defence and Mignon uh, just to ensure that, um, that you know they don't have any sort of banana skins they fall off um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, Mo, we've we've spoken recently about your your excellent um, modelling that you've got going on with regards to predicting um, the eventual, I guess, eventual champions. But I'm sure you're working on that with relegation and with Marseille as well. Um, yeah. Do you now, after this weekend, have Lille as champions come the end of the season? Um, it's a, it's a hard one. Um, thing is, though, they've got, like I said, a, a very very difficult run, and they still have. A sizably more um, substantially more difficult running than than their opponents, but their ability to sort of really perform well against teams in the in the first um, sort of ten, the first top half of the of the of the league table um, really does work in their favour. I mean, like we said a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, if they were to come away with a result, uh, if they were to come away with a title, even. That they would have to pick up a morale boosting victory um, at Paris, and that's what they've done. You know, in fact, they've you know they're completely unbeaten um, against the top half. You know, a couple of draws here and there, but um, you know they're the only team in the top five that are unbeaten against uh, oppositions from from the top five, apart from the home defeat to Angers, um, and then really sort of a little bit idiotic results against Brest and more recently Nîmes in the bottom half. Uh, very recently, uh, that's the only defeat of the season. So. Given the fact that they've got a very good record, um, I think you know you, you can't not look past them. They've shown a really strong face. They've shown their willingness to bounce back from from that Nîmes defeat. Um, you know, Metz, Montpellier, and Lyon in the next couple of games, and then Nice afterwards, and then Lens. You know, that's five difficult games. If they end up getting close to maximum points or just about more. Than, than their rivals who, for example, Lyon still have to play Lille and Monaco um, and the Paris Saint-Germain obviously have the Champions League. They they should be playing sailing from that. It's going to be tough. I don't think anything was essentially decided this weekend. Um, it, we've just sort of shifted a little bit in terms of what teams can produce and, and you know, what do they need to do in the last uh, sort of few weeks. And I think we'll talk about Lyon um, l- l- later on, but um, this is essentially a weekend where... We've we've learned a little bit uh, more of teams. We've learned more on you know what teams, um, especially in the top four. You know what are their strengths? What can they take to in the last few weeks of the season? And in Paris Saint Germain's case, with with um, you know their approach in the second half and sort of the frustration and then the red card. Um, you know what flaws do they still have and what could essentially impact them um, in the in the race for the title? So I think it was definitely a very very interesting weekend in that regard. But nothing is decided. I mean, Lille are still 
are still favourites, but definitely their journey is far from over. Eric, uh, in light of some of, of the comments that, that Mo was making there and, and moving on now to look at, at Paris Saint-Germain in this match, uh, especially I, I feel Neymar kind of embodied this given, obviously given given that he was sent off, but the two yellow cards were kind of picked up for for kind of, well, reckless actions really. I mean, I mean pushing his head against Benjamin Andre and then, and then palming him. And then right at the end of the match, obviously, that was that bit where he, he pushed Thiago Jallo over to, to get the ball quicker. In this match, do you feel that, that well, certainly that he as a player was, was playing on the edge and, and was kind of at the wrong, on the wrong side of that in the end? He lost his head. And, and do you feel that, that, that Lille got the best of Paris Saint-Germain psychologically in this one? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I mean, obviously, I think Pochettino's tactics played into that. I mean, as soon as he saw that Leo were playing, or so, sorry, the PSG were playing that, that 4-2-3-1 and trying to overload on Jallo, he should have shifted. Why Why do you have, you know, Paredes and, and Gay on, on the bench, you know, or sorry, in midfield for, for that long? Um, mm. You know, it's clear that Neymar... For all of his gifts, he—I mean—if he, you're playing a four-two-three-one, Neymar showed that he did not. Maybe even if you want to extrapolate and say he does not have the discipline to play on that left flank, um, you know he, or sorry, or to play as a as play as a number ten rather. Sorry, he kept drifting left um, mm-hmm. and uh, upsetting the rhythm of of PSG's width. Um, he kept trying to do too much in terms of taking taking play on himself. It you know it reminded me of. Uh, him playing in the two cup finals this summer, him playing in, in, in Lisbon. Uh, it was the type of performance where he was trying to do too much and it, and nothing was coming off. Um, and I think that we can all agree um, that this team, this, this PSG team is at its best when he cedes control to Mbappe. And, you know, the performances that PSG have delivered in Neymar's absence have been consistently impressive um, and Kylian Mbappe needs to be the centerpiece of that team. Now, he didn't have a great match either, um, but I think that in terms of the frustration he's feeling, you know, that that is going to be, you know, a, ch- a chief concern for the club going forward because, you know, how... I, I don't think Pochettino, if he's going to, you know, keep hewing to this 4-2-3-1, you know, I know what he did with Spurs, but, I mean, I don't think he has what it takes to... To get to play Neymar and Mbappe at the same time, and to get any measure of success um, with them, at least in terms of what PSG are after. Well, well, um, I, yeah, I mean, that. he ha- he hasn't pro- proven it yet. No, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. He hasn't. I mean, and as you say, those those we haven't been. I mean, with Neymar being out for however long it's been now, you know, we haven't had a chance to see that. And when they have played together, you have to. You certainly have to ask questions like that based on what we're seeing. Um, Mo, but this is now, I mean, this is one one win, one draw and four losses from Paris Saint-Germain against their title rivals this season, that being Lyon, Lille and Monaco. Um, and also their third consecutive defeat at the Parc des Princes for the first time since 2007. This is kind of a, a, a broad question now and, and somewhat speculative, but has changing their coach in the manner that they have and and I guess when they made that decision has that somewhat derailed their their league on campaign and do you think they they are where they are in this situation if they had kept Thomas Tuchel 
Um, well, it's a difficult question. I think um, I, I don't. I don't. Wouldn't. I don't think we would have seen any um, improvement um, in in Thomas Tuchel. I think um, the same scenario maybe would have played out more or less. I think the onus remains on the players. I don't think Pochettino has really gotten his best team yet. And I know, you know, I say this with a caveat in that, you know, soon after the 4-2 win over Leon, I did say it looks like actually he started to sort things out. <laughs> um, but it's it's evident that that's not the case. I think um, it really, I think it depends on, the, it, it really depends on players. It's hard to see. I, I think I take um, sort of comparison with that 2016-17 season, which saw Monaco uh, lift um, the title. I think, you know, Paris that year, uh, did not win at all uh, against Monaco with the eventual champion Nice, um, who finished third. Um, and in sort of the results that they got elsewhere in the league, there was a couple of poor performances, yes, which they did scrape victories, but Paris Saint-Germain were really sort of not focused on the league, not sort of taking it seriously. Intensity was, was low. And I think you can see that um, sort of happening again. And I think no matter what coach sort of, you know, comes in, um, that that would have happened, you know. It's this is again a far cry from um, sort of Paris Saint Germain, who, who you know essentially won the title here and there, and um, you know beating Monaco seven one or beating Lyon five nil or or etc. etc. You know, looking very very confident at home, scoring five six seven even eight sometimes um, at home. It's just you know it's it's that you know the core of the team still remains in. In um, in particular, in, in Mbappe and Neymar, and I think, unfortunately, it's we're just not seeing the same um, composure, the same um, you know sort of attacking prowess, the same um, overall performance. Essentially, it's hard to pin why that's the case. Um, I think in this sort of COVID interrupted season, it's hard to really take out any full um, you know observations from that. I think. You know the same sort of dropping quality is going around across across Europe, but in 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 France, where sort of the gulf in quality between Paris and the rest of the league is more uh, acute. I mean, this team should be um, running sort of relatively running away with it. And I know we talk about you know Monaco and and Lyon and Lille and and whatever as being or position themselves as really really good challenges, but you know in I don't think we can also say that these sides are, are vintage sides either. Um, it's, it's just sort of the way the cookie is crumbled sort of thing. I think um, it's hard. I think PSG are going to require a full overhaul and particularly, again, a better depth, um, particularly in the midfield, not rely on um, sort of the same player to, 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 to get them over the line. I think had it not been for, for Navas and if Mbappe had been maybe a shade sort of more wasteful in front of goal, I think they could have certainly been fourth. You know, one or two results that had not gone uh, gone their way, they could have been fourth by now and a little bit further behind. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to draw full conclusions, but um, I don't think it's necessary, uh, necessarily Pochettino's fault quite yet. But I think, well, you know, if, if history is going to sort of... I mean, it's true. I mean, I know what you're going to say, Eric. I think... You know, by now it's three months in, um, or relatively three, four months in. They should easily have gotten a handle on the team. But 
you know, I think essentially this team coaches itself, you know, from time to time. And I think it's difficult to ask him to come because essentially at the end of the day, he's going to be judged in the Champions League. And, you know, the the irony might be is that this might be the worst domestic Paris Saint-Germain team we've seen, but the team that could still end up winning the Champions League at the end of the season. So Sure, but yeah. let's look at the match on Saturday. Okay, Moise can, you know, has been a solid player this year. Pochettino seems to have no time for him. When he does start him on Saturday, he starts him after he's been sent home from the Italian national team camp for exhaustion. Now, what is Moise Keane best at? Working, running, you know, getting getting stuck in, dragging other players out of position, dragging defenders out of position. Now, is he going to be effective doing that if he's literally exhausted, if he's you know has long COVID or is suffering from the after effects of that, as he seems to be, and other players around the league have seemed to be? You mentioned rightly the quality of that. I think Wilson Benyetter is another case um, that has been hot and cold. Hussein Awar has struggled with with COVID over the course of the season. Um, you have you know you have uh, Kerr playing it. At, at right back, why not start Dogba? He's a more positive player going forward and providing more natural width. Why not play a 4-3-3? Di Maria on the right, Mbappe through the middle, uh, and play Rafinha and Draxler as as the two central midfielders. With you know, you could play Paredes holding, you could play Gay holding, you could play Pereira holding. Uh, no, Pereira was absent, but but the point stands. I mean, he there were so many things he got wrong on Saturday. You know, why not bring on Rafinha or Draxler, bring on some natural creativity, you know, players who will work for the team to be creative sooner. It's just, it, he, he, I mean, there were so many things he got wrong. It's not, it's not the case of, and I understand that, you know, he could come good in the Champions League. Yes, that's the club's aim. But, you know, in a match where the chips were down, you know, he, he didn't, things did not come off. And I think, I think that has to rest with Pochettino. It's not. You know, it's not it's not his it's, you know, Neymar and Mbappe. Yes, probably some of the blame lays with them, but it's not his choice. Yeah, it's not. I mean, his I mean, Ken is the, the big example. Play Mbappe through the middle. Don't play this exhausted player. You know, so don't play someone who's half fit. These are these are very good points. I'm just in my in my sort of observation where I see it is that. I don't think Tuchel would have been a, a, a massive upgrade because I think these problems, with the exception of Keane, as you said, I think he was definitely a you know, very, very good utility player in sort of the last embers of Tuchel's reign. But, you know, these errors or, or this ability to unlock a sort of low block defence, particularly when facing the top four, did exist this season earlier on before Christmas. Um, and, you know, we have seen um, issues with how... PSG approached sort of the league games where they're suddenly found out um, or, or sort of overturned um, because of key players and really not just coming, um, you know, into forms. Like I said, this is the sixth time that they've lost against the top four result, which half of that fell with Tuchel before the end of the uh, before the end of his reign at, at Christmas time. Um, I think yes, Pochettino deserves. Or should shoulder some of the blame, but it's hard to apportion quite a lot of it when he's come in middle of the season and sort of been asked really to focus on on one major objective, um, while essentially you know the team should be focusing and and it's has the quality to overturn um, practically every other team in the league to 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 maintain and and extend their their position at the top. Um, and I think no matter what he does, 
you know, we're just not seeing those key players uh, come in as evidence, as you saw, by Neymar's inability to really gain a foothold in that game. And then his eventual frustration in getting sent off. And I think that's going to be another couple of suspension games for him. And I think, um, you know, we've seen plenty of teams, really good teams, come to the Parc de France. And I think all the top teams in France, plus Manchester United and Nantes, have come to the Parc de France, have played their game and walked away with three points. Yeah, I mean... But, what, but isn't that more of an indictment of Pochettino as well? And like I said, I think he apportions, he, we should apportion some of the blame, but I think it's a bit harsh to apportion the whole blame to him considering that he's walked in halfway through the season. Yeah, I mean, but, I, I, I but, share... But, I, but, the, go on, but hold on, he's had two weeks to prepare for this match. And he's had I mean, his players. I mean, we he, he didn't have Di Maria and Neymar going off to South America. Right? Who did he lose over the international but, break? I understand. Mbappe, the that's same, it. This is the same Paris Saint-Germain who beat Lille very comfortably 3-0 in the cup a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's a second-choice Lille side. That's a second-choice Lille side in, in that occasion. And but Lille still, were missing I key players. And, 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 you know, their leading scorer goes off after half an hour. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I just think, uh, really, the jury's still out on Pochettino, no matter how sort of frustrating. It's very rare for me to defend <laughs> any, any Paris Saint-Germain figure, but I... I really do see much of the blame on the players here, and I don't think the required uh, level, or you know, unless it's you know we have sort of extreme coaching where he he benches a couple of players, which I think is far too early for that. I just don't see the sort of the key Paris Saint Germain players coming out um, and really you know putting their foot into the game essentially. And I think it's hard to to you know ostracise the coach for that a little bit. You know, we'll see over in the coming weeks. Of course, we'll see in the Champions League where, you know, Bayern Munich are going to be without um, Robert Lewandowski. Um, we'll see how they how they uh, take to that game. No, I yeah. don't think you're wrong about the effort the players have put in. But I, I do think that, um, you know, again, you're right. It, it's it's I, I shouldn't totally jump down his throat. But I think on this occasion, there were there were simpler answers to the questions to the questions that, that were being asked by Leo that he struggled to find. And I think that ought to have been obvious to a, a, a coach of any standing. Yeah. And I think, I think, I mean, Pochettino came out after the game um, and said, uh, if you mean it's my team, obviously I'm responsible for it. I am not relieving myself of my responsibility. It's up to you to decide if you think this is my team or not. And I think there can be a degree of, of sympathy for arriving arriving mid-season and kind of being tasked with turning things around. Um, it's not an easy job. But then you do look at, you know, for example, what Thomas Tuchel has done since joining Chelsea and identifying kind of the, prob the problem areas, if you like, in the team there. And I don't get the same sense that, that Maurizio Pochettino has done that. But, you know, if it's it might take time for him to implement his, his, his game plan. We saw um, a far more positive kind of cohesive performance against Lyon um, in that first half a couple of weeks ago, but it does feel like, um, you know, perhaps uh, as, as, as I think you pointed out there, Eric, perhaps the, um, you know, there are questions being asked of Pochettino and of this team and, and they're not uh, being answered or weren't particularly in this match uh, answered as kind of, as they should have been by a coach with Pochettino's experience. Um, but we really must move on now to, to, to the big match on Wednesday, which you guys alluded to there against Bayern, uh, the rematch of last year's, final um psg without marco verratti uh, as i mentioned before who missed the Lille match um florenzi is also set to be out due to covid19 i believe uh, while bayern are without robert Lewandowski. is is mo 
is a Bayern without a Bayern without Lewandowski, who I think, well, I would certainly say is the best player in the world at the moment. Um, is that a significant boost to Paris Saint Germain and their chances in this one? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's instrumental to to Bayern Munich. I think he has shown um, sort of him and his record. I mean, he's he's picked up a fantastic goal record um, in in recent games. He scored a hat trick in his in his sort of last Bundesliga appearance. He missed a one nil win um, over over Leipzig, and and of course um, has practically scored nearly in every single game. Um, particularly he's a player that shows up in the big games as evidenced by not only his performances in, in the Champions League but also the hat-trick that he scored, you know, he scored in, in early March against uh, Borussia Dortmund um, after Erling Haaland obviously got that quick-fire double at the start of the game. Uh, he's, he's absolutely a game-changer um, and ha- given how you know, Paris Saint-Germain's defence has looked rickety of late, particularly on the counter um that is going to be, you know, for, for a player that loves to roam in and out, in and around the box, who's very, very uh, key at mopping up some of the loose balls in, in, in that penalty area and has a great knack for, for getting them in. I think that will be uh, a massive loss because it's hard to see how coherent Bayern will be in the final third. I mean, they did look superb um, in, in retaining that 1-0 lead. Um, against Leipzig, which has set them on the way for the Bundesliga. But, you know, is it going to be former Paris Saint-Germain legend Trupa Moting um, up front? I mean, it's, yeah, Muller, you know, having having Muller behind him and obviously Sane and Coleman providing the uh, impetus on the wings will be probably the likely um, sort of uh, formation that they all put out, uh, similar to what, what happened on Saturday. But, you know, triple moting is certainly no Lewandowski. He's 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 um, doesn't have that sort of fierce and finishing ability, um, or that sort of you know world class sort of position positional um, attribute. But he is some someone that, as Paris Saint Germain saw to their major benefit in Lisbon last summer, that can pop up in improper you know unlikely situations and gain a, a major you know sort of game winning advantage. And I think that's what. They have to look at. I mean, Bayern Munich still um, are a team that you know contain a fearsome defence and a fearsome goalkeeper. Um, you know that's Lewandowski or no Lewandowski, as they saw in the Champions League. They'll need to break down in the Champions League final last summer. They'll need to break down that wall um, if they're going to gain uh, a first leg like, advantage. And I think um, it's yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough. I think Paris Saint Germain will do well to come away from from Germany with with an away goal. Um, and I think you know Bayern Munich's chances in obtaining you know, a clear, maybe first leg lead have taken a knock with the absence of Lewandowski. Mm. But that is you know something that has fallen massively in Paris Saint Germain's favour, a gift, if you will. And that's something they're absolutely going to have to um, you know take advantage of ahead of the second leg. Yeah, they really, they really do need to um, in that regard. Um, as you mentioned there, Mo, I mean, the, the kind of domestic, I guess, situations couldn't be more contrasting in that, that, that Bayern have seen off their closest rivals just this weekend with that 1-0 win. So their situation is looking good, whereas Paris Saint-Germain's preparation for this one is obviously less than ideal, them losing footing in the in the title race. But but Eric, do you feel that there are perhaps areas that, that Paris Saint-Germain can, can hurt in this Bayern team? Do you feel maybe that Bayern have certain weaknesses or certain kind of 
battles do you see foresee certain battles that Paris Saint-Germain will be able to win in in, in key areas in in this tie yeah I, I think if they you know if they play to their strengths you know using the pace of Mbappe on the counter when we saw them being very effective on that in that regard uh, throughout the group stage uh, against Barcelona um, yeah I, I think that if you if you look at you know PSG playing in that way which again is going to be I think a challenge for them, um, lacking Florenzi and um, you know lacking a lacking a solid option at left back. But um, you know if if they can you know get Paredes you know playing balls over the top, you know they're going to miss Verratti in that respect. Um, you know they are going to have a tough time, um, but I do think that um, by and large there's certainly an opportunity to play on the counter and to, and to cause Bayern problems. Um, so yeah. Um, I think I think that there's every opportunity, but I, I do have to concur with Mo. I, I think that um, you know Byron just rarely seemed to miss a beat, and I think that that that's going to be something that's that is that does pose a challenge um, to PSG uh, in this tie, um, Lewandowski or not. If I um, had to push the both of you to predict who makes it through to the semi-finals not that you know we'll, we'll we'll leave scores for this match at the door but over two legs based on the current situations um who do you see making it through um i did this against the uh, for, for the barcelona match and i think i think a couple of you guys had uh, barca to go through so um you know i was obviously <laughs> pretty smug after that one but um after backing psg no no but seriously um yeah mo if i had to come to you and had to had to push you for an answer who do you see making it through this tie uh, i'm gonna do it again and i will go for Bayern Munich. okay and eric what about you yeah it's i mean it's really hard to look past them and i think for me until they're beaten they're still the best team in europe you know given given how impressive they were in last year's champions league yeah absolutely and and you know even just i mean i was just so taken aback at how ruthlessly they dismantled a pretty decent Lazio side, albeit one who are, are not enjoying as good a season as they have um, in the last couple of years. You know, it was just absolutely ruthless. So they are the team to beat in this season's competition and it will be a real challenge for Paris Saint-Germain. Anyway, let's move on to um, one of the other teams involved in this kind of four-pronged attack uh, for the Ligue 1 title, and that is Lyon. They travelled to Lens on Saturday in desperate need of regaining some momentum in the title race after their one-all draw with Rams and emphatic defeat to Paris Saint-Germain prior to the international break. Legon needed a win to get back on the podium and to stay three points off top spot. Hosts Lens stood in their way. Surprise package of the season, the newly promoted Northerners were unbeaten since late January and would surely provide another imposing challenge to Rudy Garcia's men and provide a challenge they did. Lance had a goal ruled out for handball and continued to provide the majority of the pressure, besting the visitors in the first half, though Memphis Depay did come close for Lyon. Both sides traded chances for the first portion of the second half before Lance took the lead on 65 minutes through in-form wing-back Jonathan Klaus. With the situation increasingly desperate for Legon, who risked falling six points behind in the title race, it was Lucas Paqueta, who managed to find the equaliser with nine minutes to go. Islam Slimani was sent off for a rash challenge late on, but the scoreline remained one all, with Leon slipping out of the top three for the first time since December. Uh, Eric, two wins in seven for Leon in the league, one win in their last five. 
will they be pleased to have salvaged the point in this one against a decent lawn side or is this another instance of of points dropped well you know okay it, it's yes and no um I, I do think that we've seen throughout the season that Lance are a tough customer um and i i think that a point that you know on the road is is a decent enough point but given the situation around around the game it, it clearly wasn't enough um you know, Leon had a 20-ish minute spell in the second half where they looked fairly decent. Um, but other than that, you know, it's the same lack of imagination. It's 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 poor. It's, you know, Memphis dribbling into blind alleys. It's mm-hmm. awful finishing from Kataweri and Toko Akambi. Um, you know, it's it's the team looking, you know, looking suspect on the flanks at times. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I... It's it's lather, rinse, repeat from this team. And it's it is it's really frustrating that, you know, Rudy Garcia has has, you know, had time to try and rectify things. But um, they still seem to just play with this really, you know, stultifying, limited, uh, limited style that, um, you know, shows no ability to break break teams down. Um, teams that want to play on the counter as Lance do so well. Um, Leon struggle with that as well. Um, and, I you know. I think we could see this going back to that. You know, they had that long unbeaten run. It was 14 matches unbeaten. Uh, it was broken by Lance. Okay, or, or, sorry by Mess. You know, Mess are a team that, much like Lance do, um, sit deep, play on the counter. Um, that's their bread and butter. And Leon have no answer for that. Have not had an answer for that all season. Uh, Montpellier have. There's a reason Montpellier did the double over Leon this season. Um, same idea. Um, Leon have no answer for that. It's that book is that book is written. Um, and I think until Rudy Garcia has a has a an answer for that, um, this is going to remain a season of immense frustration. Mo Leon fourth now, as I mentioned, five points off first. Are they now genuinely in danger of not even qualifying for the Champions League? Kind of having been big picks for the title a couple of months ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think an interesting caveat of this title race, given the number of teams obviously that are in it, is the you know the fact that one of these teams, while being perilously close to the title, um, as it stands, will not be in next season's Champions League, and hence, you know, this uh, sort of dogfight to the wire will be sort of a bit of a waste of time. Really, um, it's immensely frustrating if you're uh, frustrating if you're a Lyon fan for sure. I mean, that's outside of the PSG game. That's two points. Uh, two games where they've dropped points, you know, way to Rams and way to, uh, now way to Lens. Um, They haven't looked threatening at all. And this is a team that routinely creates a lot of chances. This is a team that, um, if you look at some of the data sort of statistics, if you look at, you know, expected shots, expected uh, goals, expected points even, this is a team that should be comfortably in the league lead um, at this point. And that's something that's not translated um into you know the real world sort of league and i think it's it's definitely a source of frustration uh you know but not just for the fans but obviously clearly it's getting on the nerves of the club as well where they feel that despite uh the good season that they've enjoyed they they sort of don't warrant um the the criticism maybe that they have um sort of received because there's just a lot of chances that have gone begging and i think in, in particular on saturday in Lons, um they they just didn't look like they wanted to take the reins um, of the match and and really take it on and and secure the three points, knowing 
you know, this game kicked off about an hour or two after the result in, in Paris. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely a missed opportunity. I know that if I was a Lyon fan, and I think Eric might want to uh, sort of butt in here, um, that I'd be coming away from this game increasingly frustrated because of the fact that the top three uh, sort of strikers have looked, you know, stifled. And I think, you know, Lons could have been two ahead, but, you know, um, had, had that goal in the first uh, half not been chalked off. It was a nice finish, but came off a, a, a teammate's arm, which I think was slightly unfair um, on Lance. Um, you know, Leon just did not look like they wanted to really take the mantle. Um, and it's, it's, it's obviously not fatal whatsoever. And I think, you know, points and, uh, you, you know, their perseverance had, did pay off because they were very much on top by the time Paqueta uh, got that equaliser. They are five points from, from the title, just a point behind Monaco. But there's not many games left um, in the season and there's still a lot of banana skins left to um, negotiate. You know, we've mentioned the two games that they face against the rivals, which they probably need four out of the six points against Lille and Monaco just to stay in contention. I don't think they can afford losing um, any at the moment. At this point, it is just about consolidating as many points as you can. You know, Nantes are fighting for their future, and that's who they play um, in, in, in less than two weeks. Um, and then a uh, still a, a pretty much of a, a tricky end. Um, it's There's just no margin for error. And I know Leon in particular, out of the four teams, are the ones that are perhaps more desperate for Champions League qualification, not because of you know any any financial impetus or anything like that. It's you know given the way that they felt that, that was taken from them last year, and you know the sort sort of stunted momentum that they had after reaching the Champions League semi final last year. This is something that they really do want to get back into and and really uh, continue. Uh, sort of what they built in, in 2019-20, which they feel obviously, you know, was something unfairly taken away from them. Um, so it's very, very key for them to get into the this season. But I think, you know, they're slowly moving into a position that Lille were in um, a couple of weeks ago. I just don't think there's a lot of time where they can do an about-face and, and really show um, their credentials. I mean, it's it, they can't afford it. They're, you know, their team has to make up five points in what 21 points that are left to play for um mm. which is absolutely not um insurmountable but given the sheer number of teams and the sheer number of permutations as well um you know it might just be a tall order and i think like i said it will go down to the wire but one of these teams are not going to make a champions league whatsoever which is remarkable given you know how how this is kind of the close the uh, it's been so closely run all season that one of these sides um, who have all been brilliant, at least in spells, even if Leon have, have fallen off now, is going to miss out on the Champions League. But yeah, Leon fans increasingly frustrated, um, I would imagine. And, and, and this despite Jean-Michel Olas coming out on, on Twitter recently and, and, and kind of slagging off the, the journalists who've been, uh, been a bit more critical of the, the club's performances and, uh, and, and Jean-Michel Olas still uh, sticking up for, Rudy Garcia's uh, points per game uh, record since taking over at the club. Uh, so very much still um, still behind their manager, but it does look increasingly uh, unlikely that Leon will be um, in first place come the end of the campaign. I want to move on to Lance now, who continue to impress. Um, 
And I want to focus on one player in particular who we haven't really spoken about too much on this show, and that is Jonathan Klaus, uh, the 28-year-old uh, wing-back joined from Bundesliga Zwei champions Armenia Bielefeld uh, in the summer, having previously played for Avranche and Kevi Rouen in the French lower leagues. Um, he has been involved in eight goals in Ligue 1 in 2021, which is the highest tally of any defender this calendar year. Um, he was exceptional yet again in this one. Um, Eric, what have you made of, of, of his season and, and, and what did you think of his performance in, in, in this game? To me, it looked like he was, he was dynamic going forward and also nullified the threat that, say, someone like Maxwell Cornet provided for, for OL. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, he's got a wonderful story. I mean, he's someone who uh, I believe came through at Strasbourg um, and, uh, you know, sort of was yeah in the wind in, in the in the lower tiers of German football. Um, he And he wasn't he, he also is someone who wasn't even a pardon me, a guaranteed starter earlier in the season. He you know, he he was battling with the likes of Clement Michelin for his for his place. Um, and I think that that he's persevered through this and and by dint of his hard work, he's. He's continued to impress, and I mean, gosh, you know, is it totally all their own possibility? Given the fact that Leo Dubois picked up an injury, that he could, he could, you know, have a case for. I'd be surprised if he was actually called up for France. Um, mm. You know, he's he's been a really dynamic presence throughout uh, throughout the course of, of the season, and he he, along with the likes of Gal Kakuta uh, and Loic Bade, have has been one you know one of the keys to. Uh, to, to not only the way lost play, but where they're sitting in the table at this point in time. Yeah, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful player, and as you say, a, w- a wonderful story, really, given where he's uh, he's come from, his kind of career trajectory. But I'd love to see him in the France squad. I mean, yeah, as you say, I think pretty unlikely, given um, that Deschamps has his has his favourites. But yeah, sensational season, most goal involvements in 2021 for a defender, even more so than the mighty. Guillermo Maripan, who we've uh, talked about on this show. But Lance, yeah, continuing to impress. 49 points, still holding on to that fifth place. Really exceptional for the newly promoted side. Um, the last match we will be covering involves Lance Europa League rivals, Marseille. Uh, they suffered their first defeat of the San Pauli era prior to the international break, having been thumped 3-0 by Nice at the Allianz Riviera. They were looking to bounce back on Sunday against rock-bottom Dijon, who had lost their last 10 games and were well adrift at the bottom of the table. As expected, Marseille started on the front foot, with Dijon's only half-decent chance coming through a deflected effort from Moussa Konate. OM found the lead on the stroke of half-time through Leonardo Belerdi heading in from a Dimitri Payet corner. Payet himself was wasteful, and should have made it 2-0 in the second half, missing a couple of very promising opportunities. But he did manage to get a second assist as his free kick found Alvaro Gonzalez, who made it two from Marseille's centre-backs. Two goals, that is. OM were relatively untroubled, and despite never reaching top gear, walked away with a 2-0 victory and leaving Dijon ever closer to relegation. Uh, I believe two games potentially away from relegation, uh, to be precise. Mo. Uh, Marseille made hard work of this, but they got the win. Yeah, um, and it really shouldn't have been that difficult. I think, you know, Dijon weren't as bad as the, the form book suggested. I think they started uh, relatively well defensively. They were they were pretty solid. I think um, Alagbe, who is now sort of the number one goalkeeper there as of as of last weekend, 
um, looked looked sharp, and I think um, they, you know, as a defensive unit, really belied their sort of league position in the first sort of 30, 35 minutes. And you know, on the opposite side, you know, Dimitri Payet perhaps should have got several goals, perhaps even a, even a hat trick yesterday. Um, his his finishing is certainly not what it was um, in, in years gone by. I think. It goes to show perhaps just you know how much of a shadow of a play he is. But that's not to say they didn't enjoy a productive game. Still picked up two assists. I mean, the fact that this is Marseille at home against you know rock bottom side, a side that's on a run of another consecutive defeats, and both calls come from set pieces from centre backs, goes to show just how much of a struggle it was to procure those goals. I think defensive fragility in the end sort of did come knocking on Dijon's door in allowing Balerdi and Alvaro. Uh, to to get in uh, with the goals from from Dimitri Payet's uh, set pieces. I mean, elsewhere in the game, I think it's a continuation of sort of the laboured performances that we're seeing under Jorge Sampaoli. Again, it's it'd be very very difficult to apportion anything on him. I think he's making um, tactical innovations. Marseille did feature in a three five two five three two sort of hybrid with Luis Enrique playing. Um, surprisingly, yeah, left wing back um, in the absence of both uh, Jordan Amavi and, and Yuto Nagatomo. Um, you know, normally this is where we see Hiroki Sakai playing um, at left back once, you know, there are no other options and, and Marseille playing with a flat back four. But, you know, Sakai was playing at right centre back alongside Belerdi and, and Alvaro for, for, for the game. Um, I think one player that did shine, that continues to shine under San Paolo is Paul Lirola. I think he is very, very comfortable in a in a in a uh, sort of a three-five-two formation because that gives him sort of um, sort of position to really roam on the right wing, not focus too much on you know staying uh, staying deep. So we saw him really getting into the byline, you know, producing a lot of dangerous crosses into the box, as was the case in. You know, at Nice and at, you know, at home um, against Brest um, a couple of weeks back before the international break. I think this is a player that Sam Pauli has certainly come to like. And I think we're starting to see who are sort of the favourites, the coaches' favourites, and who isn't. Um, so who can be relied on and who, you know, who probably won't be post the summer. But um, given that Marseille are now back, um, in contention for Europe, one point behind Lance, and even though, like I said, every every single week, you know, Lance are going to fail sometime. I just don't know when. <laughs> um, they are. They they definitely will, and it'll be a case of whether OM can just sort of negotiate this period. They've they've been relatively okay in negotiating sort of end of season uh, run-ins over the last couple of seasons, and um, obviously to get into the Europa League would be a big boost considering where the club was. In, in January, but there's going to be a great um, upheaval in terms of playing staff, um, and that still needs to be negotiated. Um, but so far, uh, so good. Obviously, Montpellier next, which is perhaps the hardest of the games left in the side that's completely not out running for for Europa Conference League at least um, in in sixth place. So that's going to be a very very interesting game, and um, OM obviously will be very keen not to. Um, produced the same result they had in Nice a couple of weeks ago, something that San Paolo called as anarchy after the game. Um, so that's going to be a very interesting match, and I think uh, one for everyone to look forward to uh, later this week. Yeah, it certainly is an exciting matchup. 
Oh, well, can I ask you to, yeah, I wanted to know if you could speak a little bit more about the, the, the deals for Millic and, um, and Larola. There is, there is some, a couple of pieces in the keep uh, centering around this. And I wanted to know if you could sort of, you know, yeah. well, give, okay. speak to that because they both, they both done well. I mean, you know, they would be certainly, a, a, certainly in key parts of St. Paulo's team next year. Well, exactly. I mean, first of all, um, let's caveat this with the fact that I think Marseille, given you know, the impacts of, of Media Pro and COVID and all the other financial strife that have been going on um, over the past uh, six to 12 months in French football, have been forced to be creative for the January transfer window. So there's a lot of players in that team who are on loan and with you know relatively different amounts of figures where the option to buy is, is concerned. So with Milik, uh, he is on an 18-month loan deal on paper. He should be there till next summer. Um, and at some point over the next season, particularly in the early part of the season, an option will kick in where he should sign up for somewhere between 8 to 12 million euros, uh, bonus included. But there have been reports that there's a gentleman's agreement that allows him to leave uh, to Serie A um, if uh, you know, a team like Juve comes calling, I think. Um, it's, it's not beyond the realm of impossibility that Juve will probably be needing a striker at some point this summer, you know, as Ronaldo sort of is getting on, but also, um, you know, other sort of futures are unclear, in particular Paolo Dybala at Juve. But um, that has given a lot of uncertainty to OM fans because, you know, Milik is someone that, while not really being, you know, uh, composed in front of goal this weekend, he's a, definitely a player that is high above sort of the playing quality that OM does offer at the moment. This is a, a player that really should be in the Champions League and the OM do recognise that. But this is also someone that's very key in this sort of rebuilding project. So the fact that he can leave later on this season while OM get a very, very small profit, yes, on paper, that would be great because his goals would have eventually helped the team hopefully get back to the Europa League. But it sort of does sort of leave a hole in the project because as we know, Dario Bernadetto has really not been uh, a sharpshooter over the past 12 months and Dalish Aman is out of contract anyway. Uh, Paul Lirola is, is another one. He and uh, Leonardo Bellardi in particular have been real favourites of San Paoli. They've been really, really good. Cool. Lirola in particular has been really good going forwards. Bellardi has been rock solid in, in defence. He picked up a goal and it's generally, you know, getting into confidence um, um, of the coach and really, really improving compared to sort of his uh, slow start, shall we say, in, in Liga. Um, they are both on options from, from Dortmund and, and Fiorentina that are worth between 12 and 15 million euros. And I think let's, you know, it's, it's very clear that Marseille are not going to be spending close to 30 million euros um, in making in those permanents. So I think the onus will be on negotiating either a lower fee that is contingent on bonuses or a new loan. And I think RMC have reported today that that's going to be something that OM are going to be working on um and i think in particular both of those players should stay uh whereas other players who are also on that sort of option such as uh, the midfield duo mika cuisance and olivier encham uh, cuisance perhaps is a player of interesting quality to om but it's a little bit too little too late in his case where he's only just started being a sort of of, of, a, of a decent standard to hold i think he was very very poor in the first half of the season and that's going to count against him unless Bayern are willing to just ship him out and offer a free loan again, he's unlikely to stay in. Olivier and Chan is somebody that's just, I don't, you know, I don't think he's in anybody's plans at the moment, the poor guy. Um, <laughs> you know, perhaps, perhaps Andre Velasquez was right. Perhaps 
this is a player that's completely incompatible uh, with a team, somebody that has, in his four appearances, has been subbed off at half-time on, on three occasions. Um, so I think it's fair to say that he's halfway on the plane back to back to Glasgow. Um, but it's going to be an interesting sum, and I think that the, the more likely it is that OM do end up in the Europa League and have you know, a chance of you know, getting a little bit more revenue than they perhaps could in, in the Conference League, obviously, indeed, outside of Europe. The Europa League in particular next season will be more of a, a refined competition with players mainly coming from the top 10 European leagues. will be a stronger competition next year, perhaps something at OM's level this time round where they can really make a good hash of it um, will be good because I think the Europa Conference League will be more of a waste of time and something they might quickly dispose of. So I think, yeah, the points are very, very important. The performances are going to be very important. I think, you know, getting that fifth place is going to be of extra importance this season. Um, but so far, so with 75% record for, for San Paoli, three wins out of four, with that nice aberration, I think is, is the best you can hope for the moment. Yeah, um, indeed. And, and you, you have to say that keeping those three low knees that you mentioned who have impressed more, you know, Belerdi, uh, Lirola and Milik, that's going to be big, um, big, big, a uh, big indeed for um, Marseille next season. Um, let's finalise this then by moving on to Dijon. Um, that's now uh, 11 consecutive defeats in Ligue 1, which is the worst run in the division's history since the now defunct CA Paris managed um, that was 12 in a row, 12 defeats in a row. And that was back in 1933. So even worse than Toulouse last year, which seems pretty, pretty seemed like a pretty impossible task ahead of the, the season starting. Mo, in, in light of that, why, why do you feel um, Dijon stuck with David Linares? I mean, there were kind of promising signs perhaps earlier on in the season, but they've, they've stuck with him all season. And, and that's despite this terrible run. So, you know, do you think they've seen enough of him uh, uh, as being a, a coach who's capable of taking the club forward after you know a reset this season, for example? If they do go down, what do you think? What do you think the rationale could be with that? Yeah, it's it's, it's a hard one because uh, you know this is you know obviously he's made Foreman got a worse standard than uh, Stefan Jobard, uh, the coach before him. I think it's what two wins and twelve defeats and a couple of draws. Uh, so far, obviously, that record of 11 defeats in a row is something that they have, you know, been lumped with, and something that they're going to have to obviously take on the chin. But um, it's it's an understanding that I think they've they've made a calculated choice. I believe that this is the season where they're going to be finally going down. I think that was pretty clear, maybe to them in February and the February um, onwards, um, that they were highly likely to to make a change. And I think maybe they felt that. Linares might be the coach just to manage in, in the interim period ahead of a renewal in Ligue 2 and, you know, putting the team up together to to negotiate next season's uh, second division campaign. I think the president has been also very clear that this is a team that is, you know, not so much waiting to be relegated, it's focusing on on next season anyway. So I think that has what that's what's led to um, them sort of really continuing to end the season in the best way that they can and, you know, at, at a better faith. I mean, they've they've been soundly beaten. I think they've been, you know, comfortably, I think, the worst team in the league, but it's, they've hardly been humiliated, as as has been the case in, in the years gone by when we've had, you know, Grenoble or, or, or 
Alice Avignon, for example, teams that looked um, really, really poor at the bottom of the league and looked considerably adrift um, of the other 19 teams. Um, they've just been unlucky um, if you look at the matches that they've, they've faced. You know, a couple of really stupid mistakes, a couple of uh, defensive errors. In the end, they've just been sort of overrun by more clinical teams, teams that are better informed. It's obviously... You know, difficult that they faced. Uh, you know, in the last five six games, um, in the PSG OM Lance Bordeaux example, um, it's it's just been a challenging time for them. They've been unable to recapture some of the, the you know, perhaps decent forms that they've shown just for Christmas, uh, picking up uh, a couple of really good points and and and, and victories um, against teams that are higher up in the table. I think it you know it, it's the 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 forwards just don't look confident enough and I think um the the creators in that team, Selena amongst them, Canate and Balde, they've they've looked uh, you know rather short on confidence and I think the defence, while looking promising, as was the case of the Belgium last night, is you know not at the required level of, of the league and they're looking to be uh you know easily overrun. This is the team, you know, in, in the likes of the Quelimanga and Nauto in particular, who have a lot of league and experience Samaritana in attack another one, a guy that really does warm the bench only um, these days. Um, they are just preparing for, for the second division. And I think, you know, it is, it is um, sort of expected after, what, a 3-4 se- yeah, season um, stay in Liga and that the trapdoor has finally swung open for them. And I think um, it's, it's relatively deserved um, over the course of the season so far that they've just not been at the level. And I think no matter if they change the coach or if they change the players. And I know, for example, they've, they've dropped their goalkeeper, Anton Rassiopi, in, in particular for Satin and Alagbe, who I thought had a decent game, a relatively decent game. But overall, the performances are just not there. They're just not getting the points. And, you know, that's that's the way things are. Um, so, yeah, good luck to them, I suppose, next season. Um, and they might pull it to lose and, you know, have a bit of a renaissance and, enjoy the period in the second division where they actually win games and come back in, in 2022-23. There we go. Some positivity there for, for, for Dijon. I, I certainly think they've got uh, talented individuals in that squad um, who are more than uh, good enough um, for, to perform at a high level in Ligue 2. Uh, so, yeah, Dijon on just 15 points, unfortunately, um, look like they'll be heading down in the next um, few weeks. Um, insert some pun about not cutting mustard, if you will, at some point. Um, just to finish off then, just to rattle through some some key talking points, obviously we have the Coupe de France this week. Um, perhaps the most mouth-watering tie being the match between Monaco and Metz. That's tomorrow, uh, Tuesday evening. Um, the other kind of thing I would, well, two things I would like to flag just to to end are um, if anyone hasn't yet seen the clip of uh, the Lille players celebrating after their um, their win, I don't know if you've seen this, Mo, but the clip of uh, Christophe Galtier being the first one to um, enter the yeah, Lille jump on the table. Room. Yeah, jumping on the yeah. table. And, and I, I think I think Roy Key might have a word or two to say about that. <laughs> had that happened in England. I think he will as well. I think he would as well. But, you know, Galtier often seems such a kind of sullen and, and, and certain yeah, on the touchline. So it was great to see. Great to see from him, you know, gripping. Uh, Maybe he knows it's it's it's, it's a it's a corner time for them. Maybe he, he recognizes how big that result was for them. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. 
It certainly seems it certainly seemed that way from uh, from that clip. But yeah, great clip. And the other thing I'd like to flag is possibly the greatest uh, incident of nominative determinism I've I've seen for a while, um, which I'm sure you've seen as well, Mo. Which is that Saint Etienne's uh, the keeper who started for Saint Etienne, twenty uh, year old. Um, where's his name? Uh, Etienne Green. Etienne Green. Yeah, Etienne yeah. Green. Just absolutely sensational that you know Etienne obviously Saint Etienne and and Green being the color of the team and Le Ver being their their nickname just um sensational and he also kept a clean sheet and uh, saved a penalty so what a debut from uh, Etienne Green and I believe <laughs> I believe his name is actually something to do with the the club as well as his his uh, his mum is French and is from the region Mo have you have you seen any of this I have not but it would be I think it sort of would have been full circle uh, from that, I think, um, yeah, also somebody that was born in England, mm-hmm. um, as well, um, which is a bit of a shout out for us, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> yeah, fantastic name. Um, and you know, you, you think he's probably go on and become a very, very, um, key player for the team, given that he is in the, uh, you know, associated with the name of the club and the colors of the club. Yeah, you'd hope so. You know, it would be a real waste of a name like that to not become a club legend. Um, because yeah. it is, yeah, it's just perfect. Yeah, I think I read something like oh, someone will have to fact check us there, but I think I read that his 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 mother is is French and from Saint Etienne, so that's the reason for in part for his name. But maybe that's just kind of Twitter doing its thing. We'll see. But yeah, probably the best thing I've seen since um, I think well, Arsene Wenger always always struck me, obviously being manager of Arsenal. But I was reading about Wolfgang Wolf being manager at Wolfsburg, so perhaps not quite as good. <laughs> yeah. as as that one that's the best um but yeah okay congratulations etienne green that will be all from us today many thanks eric and mo for joining me as always make sure you're following us at gffn on twitter and please check out our website getfootballnewsfrance.com also do not forget to check out issue four of the modern footballer for a quintessential and in-depth insight into the world of european football i'm jake smales and i've been joined by muhammad ali and eric devin Stay safe, enjoy the football and have a great week.